Well, this morning I'm excited because we're going to jump into a brand new series that's going to take us through our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And we're going to talk today simply about a message entitled Transformed. And over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about kind of the process and the plan that God has in place to transform us into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. So I want you to look at that first statement on your outline because I just want to make a declaration this morning. Here's the declaration. We need more than resolutions, right? We're going into 2020. And everybody's thinking about a new year and new opportunities and new places and new people and new things. And that's all good and that's all wonderful. But I want you to understand we need more than resolutions. Today is January the 5th. And I would dare to say that probably 90% of the people that made resolutions on January the 1st have already broken their resolutions on January the 5th. Right? I mean, think about it. How many times on January 1 do we say, this year, right, this is the year I'm going to get in shape, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to go here, and five, I mean, we're not even a week into the new year, and most of us have already broken our resolutions. And let me tell you why that's important. It's important because you need to understand you need more than a resolution. You need transformation. You and I need the transformation work of the Holy Spirit. We need God to change us and transform us into the people that he has created us and called us to be. And the last part of that statement simply says this, the best version of you, because we live in this awesome world, we got all kind of social media and movies and inspiration. I was watching Captain Marvel last night. I don't know if you've seen Captain Marvel. And so there's a little part in the Captain Marvel movie where the guy's trainer at the beginning, and he says, who are you going to be? And she's, I'm going to be the best version of myself. Now, I'd already wrote this before I watched Captain Marvel, but that's just kind of a little thing out there now, right? Everybody's talking about you need to be the best version of yourself, the best version of you. Let me just tell you today, the best version of you is the Jesus in you. The best version of you is the Jesus in you. As a matter of fact, we don't need a better version of the sinful you. We don't need a better version of the sinful you. We need the best version of you, which is Jesus Christ in you. We need your personality, your gifts, your talents, and your abilities being submitted to the inner working of the Holy Spirit so that out of you would come Christ Jesus glorified, magnified, and honored so that your life would be a reflection of His glory so that through you His kingdom would come, His will would be done on earth in your life and through you to touch other people, and that's what God is calling us to. So the best version of you and the best version of me is the Jesus Christ that is in me. It is my personality, my gifts, my talents, and my abilities being submitted to the work of God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit so that Christ lives in me and Christ lives through me so that I can be the best version of me, which is Christ in me. Amen? So look with me in John chapter 3, because in John chapter 3, Jesus kind of talks about this transformation. He literally brings us kind of to the heart of the gospel and the heart of what it means to really be transformed into the person that God has called us to be. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus has come to talk with Jesus, and Nicodemus is a religious leader in his time, and Nicodemus is really an awesome guy. As a matter of fact, he, he's kind of the guy, if we were to just look at his external, exterior, his outside 
outside conditions and actions, we would probably say that Nicodemus would be a good example of a modern-day Christian. He loved the Word of God. He loved the house of God. He loved prayer. He was moral. He was integrous. He had character. He was the kind of guy that most of us would look at today and say, hey, that's a good Christian man. That's the model of what a man should look like. But the reality is, is that Nicodemus recognized something. Nicodemus recognized that the external constraints of religious discipline was not enough to produce the transformation of a heart that needed to know God. It's not enough that we have the external restraints of religious conditions. It's not enough that we be conformed into a religious pattern of behavior. We have to be transformed into the person that God is calling us to be. And so Nicodemus comes to Jesus and said, Jesus, what do I got to do to have eternal life? And Jesus answers him in John 3. Jesus replied, verse 3, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot, what's he say? You cannot what? Y'all say it out loud. You cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replied, I assure you that no one can what? Enter the kingdom of God without being born of water, that's natural birth, and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Let me tell you the goal of Christianity. God, God is not interested in cleaning you up. God is not interested in a better version of you. Think about it for just a minute. A pig in a prom dress is still a pig. A pig driving a Lamborghini is still a pig. A pig in a suit and tie is still a pig. Right? God doesn't want to clean you up. He is not interested in cleaning you up. He's not interested in conforming you into an image and a likeness and a behavior so that you act like, look like, and walk like everybody else. He is not interested in cleaning you up. He wants to transform you into a brand new person. That's what Christianity is all about. Jesus suffered, bled, and died, and rose again, not so that bad people could become good people, but so that dead people could come alive in Christ and be transformed into a new image in Jesus Christ. The word for transformation in the Greek is metamorphos, where we get our word metamorphosis, and it's the idea of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. God wants to transform you. He wants to take you from a creepy crawly to a beautiful butterfly. And how many of you understand that if you look at a caterpillar and a butterfly, it's not hard to tell that's a different creature, right? The caterpillar metamorphosized and came out something totally different. He is not what he used to be, and here's the good news. He can never go back to being a caterpillar. That's what God wants to do, metamorphosis. Not conformity, transforming by the power of God to become a literal new creation. That's what Christianity is all about. So let's look at that next scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. 
See, I believe that the Scripture teaches in the New Testament three specific ways that God transforms us into a new person. And we're going to talk today about those three things or one of those three things, and we're going to just kind of dive into this process over the next three weeks because the process of transformation, God has a part, and then we have a part. Amen? I can't do God's part, but He won't do my part. So I want to understand what is my part in the process of transformation so that I can continue to become more and more more like Jesus. Amen? More and more like Him. So look at that next point on your outline. So we are transformed in the image and likeness of Jesus, I believe, through three ways. Through number one, the revelation of Christ. We're going to talk about that today. The renewing of our minds. We're going to talk about that next Sunday. And the crucifixion of our flesh. That sounds like a lot of fun, doesn't it? We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. It starts with something called fasting. So over the next three weeks, we're going to dive into these things. But today we're going to talk about the revelation of Christ. And I want you to think about salvation. Jesus said, unless you're born again, two things specifically he said. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. You can't see it, and you can't enter it. You can't even imagine it, and you can't partake of it. Why? Because unless you're a new creation, you can't enter in to the kingdom of God. Why? Because it is a supernatural, spiritual kingdom that requires a new birth. You must be born again. Not cleaned up, not prepped up, not primed up, not painted up. You must be born again. There has to be a supernatural transformation of your heart and your life. And if you're here today and you've been born again, you understand that there was some immediate transformation, somebody, amen? There was some immediate transformation. When you got saved, you were immediately transformed. There were some things that fell off of you. You saw things you'd never seen. You experienced things you never experienced. Everybody always says something like this. It felt like the weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders, and all of a sudden I see people in a brand new light. I love Pastor Rick's testimony. He said, I went from hating everybody to loving everybody all overnight because of the grace of God and the power of God and the transformation of the Spirit of God in our lives. And Jesus said, that's required. You must be born again. But I want you to think about that salvation experience. Salvation comes through a revelation of Christ. One of the things we talk about a lot here at Liberty Church, and I hope you know this now, is that salvation is not an intellectual decision. Salvation is a spiritual decision. It's not an intellectual decision. Jesus said, no man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draw them. Without the drawing and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, without the revelation of Christ that comes through the Holy Spirit, you will never come to Christ. And it's not about information. You never learn enough information to come to Christ. It comes by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And when you get a revelation, this is what happens. Information drops from your head into revelation in your heart, and now it becomes a faith thing, not a head thing. When I was 15 years old, I got born again. But I had been raised in a Christian family. I knew the Bible. I prayed. I was a moral good person. I would have probably been an example 15-year-old kid if you would have looked at me at that time. I wasn't in any trouble. I didn't do all the stuff that many other kids were doing. I loved Jesus to the best of my intellectual ability. I had prayed to accept Christ multiple times. I had been baptized three times because intellectually I knew I didn't want to go to hell. 
But when I was 15 years old, something happened. When I was 15 years old on a Sunday night in Pleasant Grove Baptist Church, sitting in the side wing of the church, Brother Cordy Gardner, the associate pastor, was preaching. All of a sudden, the conviction of the Holy Spirit came upon me, and the revelation of God came to me, and I knew without a shadow of a doubt, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that if I were to die right then, I would go to hell. It was that revelation of Christ, and that night I got born again. And I've never been the same. Have I struggled? Yes. Have I had battles? Yes. Have I had ups and downs? Yes. But I have never been the same. Why? Because a butterfly can never again become a caterpillar. Because I've been transformed. Born again into a brand new creation. And so salvation begins with the revelation of Christ. It's not an intellectual decision. It is a heartfelt decision that is by faith through the revelation of Christ. And God reveals himself. And, and, and this, is, this is what happens many times. We, we've all seen it and we've all experienced it. The moment you get that revelation that Jesus is who he says he is, it's in that moment you're in what the Bible calls in the Old Testament the valley of decision. And you now have to choose this day whom you're going to serve. It's when you get that revelation of who Jesus is that you have to choose this day whom you are going to serve. And the challenge is, is that many times we reject that revelation of Christ and then we begin to harden our hearts against God. And we begin to make excuses and lay blame and point fingers and come up with all these reasons why we're not a Christian when in our heart of hearts, we know that Christ is who he says he is. But until you accept him, nothing changes. It's not the revelation of Christ by itself. It is your response by faith to the revelation of Christ that brings salvation, that transforms you into a new person that has never existed before. I'm not who I used to be. Now, if you're here today and you've been saved for more than a week, then you know this to be true. You know that there was immediate transformation that took place at salvation, but he's still working on me. How about you? <laughs> I am still being transformed. The old school word for that is sanctification. We are being sanctified. We are being transformed, daily changed into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. So over these next three weeks, we're going to talk about that process. And it begins with that revelation because the thing that brought us to Christ is the thing that continues to transform us into the image of Christ. And that is the revelation of who Jesus is. Because isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing how one revelation about who God is can change your life? You get a revelation about Jesus being your healer and your life will change. You get a revelation about Jesus being your provider and your life will change. You get a revelation about Jesus being your deliverer and your life will change. You get a revelation about Jesus being your friend and your life will change. 
Right? Isn't it amazing that there is transformation that happens, and every transformation that has happened in your Christian life has began with and been prompted by a revelation of who Jesus Christ is and what He has done and what He has promised and made available to us through the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at our scripture together. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1 says this, God has given me the responsibility, the Apostle Paul speaking, of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. And this message was kept secret from centuries and generations past, but now it has been what? It has been revealed, revelation, now it has been revealed to God's people, for God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. Somebody ought to say amen, praise the Lord, thank you Jesus, right? Because if you're not a Jew, you are outside the original covenant, but praise God, he's made it available to whosoever will, amen? And that's me and you here today. And he says, look what he says, for God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. The secret to what? The riches and glory of God. It is Christ lives in you. Christ lives in you. And this gives you assurance of sharing his glory so we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship with Christ. That is why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's power that works within me. So look at that next point. So the secret to the riches and glory of God is Christ in us. And it is Christ in us through the person of the Holy Spirit that reveals the riches and the glories of God in our lives. It is Christ in us. How is Christ in us that is the secret of the glory and riches of God? Christ is in us by the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus taught us God the Father is in heaven, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then he's told us also that when he ascended, he said, I'm going to ascend to the right hand of God the Father where I will ever live to intercede with you. So God the Father is in heaven. Jesus is in heaven, seated on the right hand of God the Father. So who's on earth with us? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. He is the Spirit of the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord is within us. And the Bible says that the secret to the riches and glory of God that is available to us in Christ is available to us through the indwelling, empowering Holy Spirit. It is Christ in us that enables us to see the kingdom of God, that enables us to enter into the riches of His glory and become partakers of all that God has for us. Let me be so bold as to say that everything you have ever received from God came through the Holy Spirit. Apart from the Holy Spirit, you haven't received His grace, you haven't received His forgiveness, you haven't received His mercy. You can't be saved without, without the Holy Spirit because Jesus said it's the Spirit that has to draw you to salvation. Everything that you've ever received as a believer in Jesus Christ comes through the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus purchased it. Jesus paid for it. Jesus paved the way for it. And now the, the Holy Spirit administers to us everything that Jesus purchased and paid for on the cross. John chapter 16, Jesus said this. He said, when I go, I'm going to send another comforter, the Holy Spirit. And he said, it's to your advantage that I go away. And then he made this statement. When he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he's going to reveal to you what is mine, he says, he's going to reveal to you. He's going to show you what is mine. 
Why? Because the job of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Christ, to reveal the riches and the glory of Christ that have been made available to us through God. And I just said it a moment ago, isn't it amazing the transformation that happens every time you get a revelation of who Jesus is, every time you get a revelation of what He has done, every time you get a revelation of the Word, every time you get a revelation and you see what you've never seen, all of a sudden your life begins to change. And that is the job of the Holy Spirit, to reveal Christ to us, and He lives in us. And so now through the indwelling, empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, we can see what we could never see. We can enter into what we could never enter into because of the goodness of God that has been made available to us through Christ in us, which is the Holy Spirit. So look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 Paul says, it is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of His new covenant. And this is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. For the written, for the old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives what? The Spirit gives life. And the old way, with laws etched in stone, led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face, for his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Look at verse 8. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? Think about what he says. Shouldn't we expect greater glory? If the old covenant, which ended in death, was so glorious and so wonderful and so powerful that Moses' face shone with the glory of God. If the glory of God under the old covenant was so great that signs, wonders, and miracles followed the nation of Israel all the days of their life, then how much more should we expect signs, wonders, and miracles, the glory of God, the power of God, the grace of God to be manifested in our lives because of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit? How much more should we not expect a greater glory? One of my prayers for us as a church is that during these 21 days, we would raise the level of our expectation that we would expect a greater glory, that we would expect that what we read about in the Old Testament would be taken to a new level in the New Testament, and that what we read about in the New Testament would be manifested fully and completely in our lives today. We should expect a greater glory because the glory of the old passed away, but the glory of the new we're about to read, the Bible says, remains forever. We should expect a greater glory. One of the things we say here at Liberty Church all the time is we say the best is yet to come. Why? Because I believe the greater glory is always in front of us, amen, because the Holy Spirit lives in us. It is the indwelling, empowering presence of the Spirit of God, Christ in us, that gives us access to the riches and glory of God so we can see and enter into the kingdom of God. Look at the next verse. Verse 9. So if the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way which makes us right with God? In fact, this first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way which had been replaced has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? 
And since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. The second thing I'm praying for our church in this 21 days of prayer and fasting is not only that we would raise the bar of our expectation, but that we would raise the bar of our boldness, that we would have such a confidence in who Christ is in us that we would be bold and step out and speak up and do the things that God has called us to do, that we would be bold enough to live out loud our faith and not be intimidated by the world, not be intimidated by the has-beens, be, could be's of the world, and not allow the world, the flesh, or the devil to stand between us and what God has called us to do. And when I talk about being bold, I'm not talking about doing crazy things just for the sake of doing crazy things. I'm talking about being bold enough to simply obey God. What if you were bold enough just to follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit? What if you were confident in Christ in you enough that when the Holy Spirit says speak, you would speak? When he says pray, you would pray. When he says give, you would give. When he says serve, you would serve. When he says love, you would love. What if you were so confident in Christ in you that every little bitty minute prompting of the Spirit would create a boldness in you that would cause you to step out? And simply obey God. Such confidence we have. So we can be very bold. Look at verse 13. And we are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened. And to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so that they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. How do you remove the veil? Only by believing in Christ. It is that revelation of Christ and then your faith in the revelation of who Jesus is that removes the veil. And all of a sudden, you begin to see you begin to know and you begin to experience what you've never seen, known, or experienced before. Why? Because only Jesus can remove the veil. He says, yes, even today, verse 15, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I put in parentheses liberty because that's the King James word. And it's this verse, 2 Corinthians 3.17, that this church got its name. Why do we call Liberty Church Liberty Church? Because 2 Corinthians 3.17 says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. Freedom from your past. Freedom from your pain. Freedom from addiction. Freedom from hurts. Freedom from hang-ups. Freedom from the, the challenges of yesterday. There is freedom in Christ. Amen. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now look at the next verse. This is where we wanted to go. We read all that to get here. <laughs> so all of us who have had the veil removed, those who have believed in and turned to the Lord, accepted Christ, been born again, those who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him. See, there's a progressional transformation. There's a progressional change. More and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So look at that next point on your outline. We are transformed more and more into the image of Christ as we see him. 
The more clearly we see him, the more clearly we become like him. We are transformed more and more into the image of Christ as we see him. See, there's a great scripture in 1 John, I believe it is. The Bible says that when we see him, when he returns, we're going to be like him. See, when you see him, you'll be like him. The more clearly you see him, the more you'll be like him. And the reality is simply this. We, we reflect what we see and we become what we behold. We reflect what we see and we become what we behold. And if you don't believe that you become what you behold, because that works in all realms, not just in the realm of the kingdom, if you don't believe that you become what you behold, then look at a teenager. Just look at a teenager. And you know what you can tell by looking at a teenager? You can tell what music they listen to, what movies they watch, who's their heroes, who their role model, and who are they looking up to. You can look at them, listen to their words, listen, watch their actions, and you can tell who their role models are. You can tell who they're looking to because you become what you behold. You become what you behold. You become what you behold. And you reflect what you see. 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 So if your image of Christ is distorted, then you live a distorted Christianity. And this explains, have you ever wondered, and I know you have because people ask me all the time, why are there so many different versions of Christianity? How can we all read the same Bible and come up with 45,000 different denominations? It's really simple. You reflect what you see. You become what you behold. The image of God that you see determines the image of Christ that you live. And if you have a distorted view of Christianity, then you'll live a distorted Christian life. I don't know about you, I've met some angry Christians. You ever met an angry Christian? I've met some angry Christians. They're angry at the world. And when you really talk to them, you find out they think God's mad. I've met Christians that don't like lost people. I've never figured that one out because everybody used to be a lost person. But I've met Christians that don't like lost people, and they say crazy things. We ought to take all those people and put them on an island and just get rid of them. I've heard people say stuff. I've heard Christian people say stuff. Say that about lost people, broken people, deceived people, people that are still caterpillars that haven't been metamorphosized by the grace of God to become a butterfly. And if you have a distorted view of Christ, you'll live a distorted view of Christianity. And so why? Why in the world is it important that we take 21 days for prayer, fasting, and giving? Why is it important that we take 21 days to press in to the heart of God? Look at that last point on your outline. This is why. Because the image you see determines the life you live. The image of Christ that you see determines the life that you live. So what if we allowed the Holy Spirit... What if we allow the Holy Spirit over the next 21 days, guys, what if we allow the Holy Spirit to reconnect us, refine us, and refocus our hearts so we could see more clearly? Because this is what I know. Our image gets distorted. Our image of God gets distorted. It gets distorted by sin, first of all. Think about this for a second. The Bible, speaking of sin, talks about how that through sin and rebellion, we grieve and we quench the Holy Spirit. If it is the Holy Spirit that reveals Christ to us, then what happens when you grieve and quench the one that's revealing Christ to us? All of a sudden, now you get a distorted image of Christ. You're not seeing clearly. You're not seeing clearly. And not only does sin distort our vision, but hurts, disappointments, pain, struggles, grief, sorrow, setbacks. Life happens. 
And if we're not careful, we'll allow the negative circumstances of life to distort our image of God. Because we've all seen Christians, hear me, we've all seen Christians who at one time believed that God was a healer until somebody they loved didn't get healed. And then they come out on the other side and they're, they're like, I don't really know if God heals anymore. We've all seen Christians who, who, who said, I believe that God is my provider until they went through financial hardship and they lost some things. And then they come out on the other side and they're like, I'm not really sure if God's really going to take care of me or not. We've all seen Christians who said, I believe that God is for me and God is with me and God loves me. And then tragedy strikes and grief strikes and loss strikes and death comes. And they come out on the other side of it and they're like, well, I'm not really sure if you can count on God. I'm not even sure if there is a God. We've seen people move. Unfortunately, we've probably moved. There have probably been some times in your Christian life where you really believed and now you don't. Where you were really confident and now you're not. And the reality is simply this, God hasn't changed. But our view of Him does. And if we don't press into God, if we don't allow prayer, fasting, and giving to reshape, refine, and refocus our hearts, you know what will happen? We'll live a distorted life. And we'll act like God is not who He really is. And we'll live this lower version of Christianity that makes God susceptible to our hurts and pains instead of above the tragedies of this world. So I want to challenge you to do so. Let's just bow our heads today. As a Christian, I want to challenge you to do this today. I want to challenge you. Take the next 21 days as serious as you've ever taken anything. Don't religious ritual your way through it. Don't punch the clock and mark off the list the things that you had to do today because we're fasting. Put your heart into it. Put your heart into it. Press in to know Him. Take advantage of every little thing that we're doing. There are acts of intimacy that are intended, if our heart is right, to draw us closer to God. Take advantage of that. And let's get clarity. That was the word the Lord gave me for 2020. He said, Keith, I want to give clarity. Let's get clarity. Let's see Him more clearly, because the more clearly we see Him, the more clearly we will reflect who He really is. And we will receive and we will share that very image of Christ to a world that needs to know Him. So I want to challenge you as a Christian, take it serious. Second thing, if you're here today, and maybe you're here today, and maybe you realize, Pastor Keith, I've been religious, I've made some intellectual decisions, but I've never really been born again. I'm still a caterpillar. I look like a butterfly. I talk like a butterfly. I act like a butterfly, but I'm a caterpillar. And my heart is still the same. But today, today the Holy Spirit has revealed Christ to you. Today you know without a shadow of a doubt Jesus is who He says He is. And today by faith, you want to move from head to heart. You want to move from head to heart and you say, today I want to accept Jesus. I want to be transformed. I want to become a new creation. I want to be born again. And I'm willing to surrender my life completely and totally to Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, I want you right now, just as bold and confident as you can, just stand up right where you're at. Today, I want to be transformed in that new creation. 
Today I want to be transformed. Just stand up all over this building right now. Nobody's looking but you and God, and that's the most important thing. God is calling your name. I want to be transformed today. I want to be born again. I don't want to be cleaned up, dressed up, and pampered up. I want to be transformed. I've tried religious activity, and I just can't do it. I need a heart change. I need to become something I've never been before. Today, that is yours. Jesus made it available to whosoever will. And I believe the Holy Spirit is dealing with you right now. And if you want to stand by faith today, we're going to pray together. And today, you're going to be born again. We're about to close. Don't miss this moment. Holy Spirit's dealing with you. This is the moment. Don't harden your heart. Don't allow fear to keep you from stepping out in faith today. Jesus died for you, and he loves you. If that's you, stand. We're about to close. Father, I thank you today for the grace of God and for the power of the Holy Spirit that transforms us. I thank you today for revelation knowledge and understanding of Jesus. Let us see more clearly. We commit our hearts today to know you more. Intimacy brings clarity, and revelation brings transformation. God, draw us near. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.